0: Today we're going to be in Romans chapter 16, and we are finishing this great, incredible letter that Paul wrote to the believers in Rome. Hopefully you have followed every chapter, you have listened to the background of this letter, and to me it's one of the keys to the whole Bible, of connecting the Old Covenant, the New Covenant and bringing forth God's Word in a systematic way that we can understand from point one to two to three ABC, the foundation of God's Word, the gospel, and what it's all about as believers. And so we're going to come to chapter 16, which is greetings and love that is expressed by Paul to the church at Rome. But you have to remember He's never been to Rome. However, he's expressing in a general way his love and affection for the believers and their reputation and their faith. But he does know many individuals that have migrated into the city of Rome that are there, so that when he gets there, he already has a personal involvement with many of them, or a few of them, I should say, in ministry from the past. And so we're going to go through a lot of names. We're going to look at how to pronounce these names. Hopefully we will do justice to some of these names. But they are people that Paul has known from the past in ministry. He knows of their faith in the Lord, and he has had a relationship with them. Also, I want to talk about the subject of women in authority over men, because those that advocate— that women can stand in authority over men. They don't so much advocate it in the family, but they will start advocating it in the church or within ministry, that women can be in authority over men. They always go to Romans chapter 16. And Alan and I are here together, and we're going to go through this chapter, and we're just going to allow the chapter to speak for itself. And we're not going to base anything on an assumption. And some that really advocate that women can be pastors and shepherds over men within the body of Christ, they always use Romans chapter 16 as one of the foundational pieces in order to make that argument. So it's going to be really interesting as we go through this chapter. I want to begin with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time together. I pray that you will give us direction as we share God's word, your word, with everyone that is listening. And Lord, let us be true to the original intent of what Paul is saying to the church at Rome. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's look at this. Let's go one verse at a time. Paul's writing at the end of this letter, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a servant or a deacon or deaconess of the church, which is at Syncria. All right, Phoebe might have been the person that is bringing the letter. Let me read verse 2. That you receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints, and that you help her in whatever matter that she may have need of you, for she herself has also been a helper of many and of myself as well. So, Phoebe has been a person that has helped. She's been a servant, and that's exactly what the word deacon is. A lot of people do not realize that the word deacon is servant, and so when you look at this, some people translate this that she's a deacon, and a deacon was, if you look back at its history in Acts chapter 6... You look that the church in Jerusalem picked seven men that were full of the Holy Spirit and of wisdom to take care of the business aspects of the feeding program to widows within the city of Jerusalem. They were servants. They were deacons. And these seven were chosen by the church, and then the apostles looked at these seven men, and they approved of it. They laid hands on them, saying, "'Yes, we agree.'" that these men can serve in this capacity. Two of those men that are familiar with most people that have grown up in the faith is Stephen and Philip. Stephen becoming the first martyr for the faith, and Philip becoming a great evangelist that we see later on. So here, Phoebe is described as a servant. Does that mean that she's a deacon? If she's a deacon or a deaconess, that means that she possibly could have some authority over men in the church in Synchrea. Synchrea is not too far from Corinth. It's in Achaia. And so we look at this, and some make the assumption that Phoebe was an authority over men. But remember how Paul describes her. She's been a helper, a helper to many, a helper to myself, She may be the person that is serving, helping, and bringing the letter of Paul to the church at Rome. There's not anything in this context that anyone can come away and say, well, this proves that she's in authority over men. So they would develop a teaching, a conclusion based upon an assumption, and an assumption that goes directly against what Paul teaches in other places within God's Word. Remember what Paul says, I do not allow for a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. And teaching in that culture connected with authority would be one where you exercise authority over men that you are a shepherd and you are in a position of authority. Paul says, I don't do that. So when you look at the assumption that's in complete contradiction, not just to Paul, but I believe to the whole Bible, then you are building a theology that you cannot prove, that is actually in a contradiction to the rest of Scripture. Now, let's continue, because there's going to be two more examples here. And I want to say this, and Alan, jump in at, at any time. You know, I have a lot of friends and a lot of pastor friends that will completely disagree with me on these things that I'm sharing In fact, the majority of them in the West would disagree with me. Now, in India, where I spent many years, they would all say amen, because (laughs) they understand the difference of roles between men and women in the home and in the body of Christ. And so I want you to know, even though we may differ on this, this is not an issue that's going to separate us in the faith is not an essential. To me, it's important. It's important that we uphold God's design for the family and for the family of God and how important that is that we follow his direction, directions in order to build a healthy family, in order to build a healthy church. Yeah, Scott, real quick, I like what you said
1: about, you know, what Paul said directly confronting that, and it looks like a clear contradiction if you take it in the context of she is overseeing men. So from a hermeneutics perspective, I'd almost rather take the safer route when you see Paul making a direct statement saying men should not be an authority over women. Women should not. Sorry, women should not be an authority over men. Um, You know, when when you get this, like you said, this is based on an assumption. So if you can't prove that, you almost have to go back to the other statements that line up with what Paul said, what the Word of God says about this and use that as your conclusion. At least in my
0: mind, that's that's where I would get to that from here. And when Paul talks about qualifications of an overseer and qualifications for a deacon, later on he's talking about men. When we look at the whole context of an overseer and a deacon, they will have some authority to make decisions and to lead and to direct. And it's always in the context of men. And if you go through all of the Bible— it's all about men leading, except for one example, and that's Devorah, Deborah. And Deborah was a judge, a person that God was using in such an incredible way. But if you go through the story of Deborah, the men were so weak during that time, they would not even go to battle unless Deborah went with them. And it says more about the men of that day than it was Deborah herself, that when a man does not step up and lead and exercise authority that God has designed for him, yes, God will raise up a lady to do this and if i have if I'm looking for servants with authority within the body of Christ, and I do not have men, of course. I want a lady, a godly lady, that can step up and fill in the gap during a time that I do not have qualified men or men with spirituality that can do the work that needs to be done. Deborah, there should have been a man in that position, but Deborah was willing to be that leader at that time. And God made sure that no man would get the credit because they weren't willing to step forward and to lead. And when I go into any situation, whether it's in the family, whether it's in the family of God, I want to see men stepping forward to lead. This is how God designed men. This is masculinity. It is to lead. It's to set the example and it's to be servant leadership, godly leadership. And that's what God's design is for us today. It does not mean that women cannot be used by God. It does not mean that God cannot use a Deborah at a time when men are not willing to step forward, to step in the gap, and to lead in a time of crisis. However, God's design is for men to lead the family and to lead the family of God. And so let's continue here. The next verse is another verse that those that advocate women pastors, women in authority over men, take from this verse. Verse three Greet Prisca, Priscilla, and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who for my life risked their own necks, to whom not only do I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. So, why do they say here, that Priscilla is in a position of authority. I think they're looking at it from the order of importance. That's
1: Paul's writing in the time where you would put the, the leader or the more important one first when you were naming them, and you've seen it before. You know Aquila in Priscilla or Prisca, but here it's listed Priscilla first, which that was intentional when they would write that. You know, you see, you know, all the writings where the most important yes. person is at the top, the the least important at the
0: bottom. That's just how they, right? How they wrote. So. Some people make the assumption because Prisca is mentioned before Aquila, her husband, that she is the leader of the two. And that's a big assumption. I do believe that she is mentioned first, showing probably who is more vocal of the two. If you go through the book of Acts, initially it's Aquila and Priscilla, but later on it's Priscilla and Aquila. But you never see the two of them separated. And that is something that is very unique. I believe that Priscilla is speaking with Aquila as the overseer or the person who is over her. As she speaks, it's them together. And I don't believe that she's in a position of authority, and there's not anything that is saying that she's in a position of authority. But they have risked their lives for the sake of the believers And all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks to them as a team. And it's something incredible to see a husband and a wife that are ministering together. And I've seen this many, many times, that a husband that is overseeing the ministry and we see a vocal ministry of their wife, but yet it is the husband that is the one that's in authority. And I would see this more within this context. But both of those on both sides is an assumption, right? Yep. But what we do know about Prisca and Aquila, they risk their own necks to whom I give things, not only myself, but all the churches of the Gentiles. See, they were Jews, Jewish believers, and now they're risking their lives for the Gentile churches. What an incredible testimony here. So we do know that Phoebe was a servant a helper, and we do know Prisca and Aquila risked their lives for Paul and for the churches. What a great testimony.
1: Yeah, and I'll just add, Scott, I was thinking,
0: as you were talking about the earlier
1: example, you know, some of these can seem a little controversial, I guess, this topic, and like you said, many pastors in the West here probably would disagree with what you're saying. There's, there's a lot of, you know, female pastors that for sure would, would disagree with what you're saying, but I think, you know, to me, this is a good example of Really trying to look at it in context, see what Paul was saying, and match it up with what it, else it said in the Word of God, and not try to fit it into our modern-day progressive thinking. You know, now it's it's all about women empowerment, and, you know, you see that, and you've seen it on a, a really bad side in the base of homosexuals and gay marriage, trying to twist and fit Scripture to fit the culture of the day, to appease people.
0: Yes, and I I want to say this. The Word of God is clear all the way through on this subject. It's not just one statement of Paul when he's talking to Timothy. Think about Paul writing about husbands loving their wives as Christ loved the church, and wives submitting to their husbands like the church submits to Christ. He could not have used a greater illustration for that. Today, we're trying to minimize all of that, and we're trying to say, for example, marriage is 50-50. No, it's not. The two become one, and it's one, one entity. The two get married, and they're one, and there's one head. And God has ordained for the husband to be the head of that marriage and the husband to be the head of that family. And when that is disrupted and abandoned, All types of chaos will take place in time if we do not honor God's design. It does not mean that the family will not have some great things about it if the husband is not leading, but it's not God's design. And I want God's design. I want a healthy role model for my children growing up A father that loves his wife, a father that loves his children, a wife submitting to her husband, and they see unity, not 50-50, but we're one. We're working together as one entity for the glory of God. In the body of Christ, there's not a dichotomy between the body of Christ and the family. And we see that in the qualifications that we see in 1 Timothy and in Titus. But if we go all the way through Scripture this design of men leading is all the way through scriptures, through scripture. And I don't want to make a culture where the scripture fits my culture. I want my culture to come out of the word of God. And so what we're talking about, yes, we may disagree, but this is very important. And I'm emphatic about it. This is God's design. There's not a gray area in this. It's gray in this sense that there's a lot of people in the West that disagree with me, but I have no problem of saying you're wrong by the authority of God's Word. God's design is for men to step up and to lead within the body of Christ, and for women to be helpers within that context and to minister to women and to minister to children and to help and to be vocal and to prophesy and to be used by God. All these things we see, but we do not see women in authority over men.
1: Yeah, and I think, you know, if anyone's listening and you're, you know, maybe you're a female and it kind of triggers you to hear these things, but also think of it in the context of, you know, this is godly leadership, especially with the husband and the wife. We're supposed to love the wife is Christ, love the church. You know, this isn't about having somebody that's your servant or slave and, you know, all this stuff you can get confused with. This is this is a godly example of godly leaderships. So, and you look at Paul, you know, gave his life, you know, eventually, you know, was killed for his faith, was killed for the people he served and believed in. And this is the mindset he's going into. It's not a halfway mindset he's talking about of oh yeah, you can be this but not be a great leader and they're supposed to submit to you under this. No, this is this is, you know, godly men that are serving Christ, you know, that have these help from these women. And, yes. Yeah, and, and of course it can get, you know, manipulated and people use it in the wrong context, but this is not what Paul is talking about and in, in all the times he speaks of it.
0: Yes, but let me say this and this is important. What I am responsible for is my own actions. So as a husband, I need to lead my wife and lead my family. What if my wife doesn't submit? Then I have a big problem. Then I can no longer be the man that God wants me to be. What if a woman is submitting to her husband, but he's not treating her right? He's not putting her interests first. How does she respond to that? How do I respond to that? I keep loving my wife. I keep loving my family. I keep doing everything to lead in a way. Sometimes I've seen men that's taken completely away from them of making decisions, but they're leading through their example, through their life. What about a wife who's not being treated the way that she should be treated? Does she stop submitting? Absolutely not, because she's responsible for her own actions before God. So I'm not saying that this has to be a great situation. Now, there is a higher authority at all times. A wife should not submit to her husband if the husband is actually forcing her to do things that are contrary to the authority of God. If I ask my wife to lie, she's not to lie because there's a greater authority And she's to honor God before she honors me. And I'm asking her to do something that is challenging the authority of God in her life, in our marriage, and in in our family. So what I'm saying is that these principles do not have to be a great husband, a great wife, everything's going the way that it should be going. However, if we are in the authority of God, As an individual, I need to do my part of what God has asked me to do. My wife needs to do her part and what God has asked her to do. And when those two things come together, it's an incredible thing. I'm leading, but we're one. We're together. We have unity. Our marriage belongs and exists for the glory of God. And what an example to the children if we do that as one. The same thing in the body of Christ. Men should be leading. Men should be stepping up and leading and asking God for direction and praying and setting the example for the whole body of Christ. And here are women that are coming beside them and supporting and praying and doing the work that many times men cannot do, but they're doing it under the authority of the men within the church. What a beautiful thing that that is. Sometimes it breaks down on one side or the other side, but I am responsible within the body of Christ to do what I need to do and to honor God. And so we're getting a little bit off subject, but it's okay because we're going through some verses here that people have abused to say that women can be in authority over men. And the only place, Alan, that I see that that can take place is when men refuse to step forward and to lead. God will raise up a Deborah. God will use a woman to step in a leadership position if men are so weak and they will not step forward. And there are some cultures around the world, men are not supposed to lead. Women are supposed to lead in the family, and you go to the churches, and they're leading. And it really brings dysfunction to the body of Christ, and it brings dysfunction within the family as well. And we see the consequences of that down the road. Now, let's get back on subject here. All right. Let me say this. Phoebe and Priscilla, what an incredible testimony and ministry that they have, Priscilla and Aquila. Verse 5. Also greet the church that is in their house. Some say, oh, that means she's a pastor. No, what that means is that they have a gathering that is meeting in their house. Greet Epidinitus, my beloved, who is the first convert to Christ from Asia, talking about Asia Minor. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junius, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners who are outstanding among the apostles who also were in Christ before me. Now, this is the third example that people try to use that say that women can be in authority over men because you have Andronicus and Junius or Junia, it can be masculine or it can be feminine and look at them, my kinsmen, all right, and my fellow prisoners. And the next statement, they say, oh, Junia was an apostle. But this is what it says, who are outstanding among the apostles. Now, it's an assumption that Paul is calling them apostles there. What he is saying is that Andronicus and Junius or Junia My kinsmen and my fellow prisoners, they have spent time in prison. They have worked together, who are outstanding among the apostles. That could just as well mean they have an outstanding reputation and ministry among the apostles. Their reputation, the apostles know about their ministry and their willingness to sacrifice for the gospel, who also were in Christ before me. They were believers before Paul. They have spent time in prison as well. They are his fellow kinsmen here, Andronicus and Junia or Junius. But it would be an assumption to say that Junia, Junius is a female and and she is an apostle. If she's an apostle, she definitely would exercise authority over men. In all three examples here, Phoebe... Priscilla and Junius is assumptions that they are making in order to produce a theology a conclusion.
1: Yeah, and I think I'll just go back to that first statement or question I had, and you confirmed it. When
0: there's assumptions,
1: and it's and it's a question mark, you got to go back to the Scripture lines up with other Scripture, and what Paul said, you know, women should not have authority over men. To me, that's concrete. That's a definite statement that he made. It's in the Word of God. So if these are just You could assume, maybe, maybe not, but you go back to what he said, you know, in in his other writings that confirms, right? you know, definite, direct, hard stop. This is what he means. There's
0: no question about it. And the Bible, from a hermeneutical standpoint, does not contradict itself. Even from the Old to the New Covenant, there is not a contradiction. In fact, all of the Old is fulfilled in the New, and everything that is taught in the Old is fulfilled and taught in the New. And so when we look at this, this is not a new teaching that is coming forth and that now women can stand in authority over men. They are three assumptions that people are teaching today based upon these assumptions, and that's not how you teach the Word of God. I never teach an assumption as a fact. And going back to what you're saying, Alan, yes, there is direct teaching that this assumption is not the correct assumption that some are making. All right, let's continue in verse 8. Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ. And Stachys, my beloved. Greet Apelles, the approved in Christ. Greet those who are the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodion, my kinsman, Greet those of the household of Narcissus who are in the Lord. Verse 12 says, Greet Trifaena and Triphosa, workers in the Lord. Greet Persis, the beloved, who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, a choice man in the Lord, also his mother and mine. Verse 14, Greet Asyncritus, Plagon, Hermes, Patrobas, Harmas, and the brethren with them. Alan, I wish you were reading these verses. (laughs) You got it. it Verse 15. Greek Philologos and Julia, Nerous and his sister, and Olympos and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. I'm going to stop there for a moment. We made it through these, these names. <laughs> Great but, but one thing I want to emphasize, and I might not have pronounced them correctly, but trying to use phonics here, is look at all of these people here that Paul seems to have a relationship with. And he's never been to Rome. And we know that Priscilla and Aquila were kicked out during the time of Claudius, but now they've come back to Rome, and we see them back in the city of Rome after the death of Claudius. There is a relationship within the body of Christ that is so unique that as Paul has been ministering, and through the years, even some that came to faith before him they're still ministering together. That relationship is still strong together. And they're a family. This is the body of the Messiah, and what an incredible family that we are a part of. And when it says, greet one another with a holy kiss, remember the word holy here, (laughs) because people greet each other with a kiss in other cultures, but this is a, a holy kiss. And what I believe it is saying, one that honors God, one that is respectful, one that is decent, greet one another with a holy kiss. All the congregations of Christ greet you. We should never embrace each other in a way that does not honor God, and it should always honor others and honor our reputation. As a man, I'm not comfortable all the time greeting or embracing ladies in a way that doesn't honor God or honor their husband. So in many cultures, they recognize that and they abide by that. In the American culture, in the Western culture, all those things are thrown away. But when he says, greet each other with a holy kiss, I believe what he is saying, and one that is decent and honors God and honors the society and is not anything that is done indecent. And so I'm not comfortable always hugging like we do in America, frontal hugs, and, and doing things like that with people of the opposite sex. I want to do it in a way that it's right and decent and holy.
1: Yeah, I, I agree with all of that. And I was, I was thinking as, as you're reading those names, you know, all these people— and, and you know, my mind will wander from time to time, but it'll be interesting to see in heaven exactly what their part was in this early church. And, you know, when we think about Paul in the early church, we think about Paul and Peter and Jacob. But here's a whole list of people that, you know, had some impact in the Paul's ministry. And yeah, Paul was the spokesperson, obviously chosen as the leader, chosen by God to minister the Gentiles but he didn't do it on his own, and I think that's, uh, you know, here here in the West, again, always the bad things about the West, but we have such an individualist mindset, and you can almost see Paul, like, while he was the Lone Ranger, where he was out there, you know, on his own, and going to these churches and traveling. But no, he had a team with him that was always, traveling was always with, with him, and whether or not we know exactly what they did, or, you know, we won't know until we get to heaven. But for them to be listed here in the Word of God, you know, they obviously had a significant role to play where he would write to a church that he doesn't even know most of the members of this congregation in Rome, but he's calling these peoples out. He's saying, these are my beloved, you know, outstanding among the apostles he mentioned of the first two, and and goes on about how great they are. So it's going to be, yeah, real interesting to see why are they here in this Romans 16. It's they, they obviously are important because God chose to put their name in the Word of God, and that's it's outstanding too. To get that acknowledgement um, from God for what they've done, and, but it's right. it's not a it's not a Paul only you know it's not a Peter only model the body of Christ it's we all have our part in the body and whether or not you're at the forefront writing the letters or you're back sweeping the the floor or cleaning the bathroom
0: everyone plays a role and it's equally important to God. Yes, it is, and it's and I'm glad you brought that up. Now we're already on 35 minutes, and we are in greetings and love expressed. But there's so much that is here. One lady that I knew from Memphis taught the same Sunday school class to children for 61 years. So many pastors came in and went, and they were leading the church. But probably if you look back on that the history of that church— she probably had as much impact upon people and the spirituality of that church than anyone, probably even more than the pastors, the leaders. And when you look at that, they're ministering as a team together. Paul's already, always ministering as a team, and it's one family, one body, and they're moving together in the right direction. Now, there are some that cause dissensions. That's the next verse we're going to deal with. However, as they're ministering together, There might be a lady like Phoebe, like Prisca, like Junia, possibly it's a female, that has as great of a ministry as any of these individuals, even though they're not in authority over the group. Paul is the one leading. The apostles are leading. They're setting up elders. The elders are men. There are different types of elders and we see some are given as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastor-teacher. These are men that are coming to the forefront, leading. However, there are ladies all through the Bible that are having an impact upon not just the gospel, but everything in the Bible. Even before the gospel, the new covenant of being so important to the whole picture of God's plan of salvation and redemption. So think about Ruth. Think about Esther. Think about these women of faith that changed the world, even though they were not in a position of authority. But look at Esther. Esther was put in as the queen of Persia. Even though she's not in authority, she had some authority but she risked her life, and if she had not done that, there would have been genocide against the Jewish people. So women are not limited because they're not supposed to be in authority over men. Yeah, I think that's a a real Western mindset. You know, the leader
1: is the most important, but that's not, you know, throughout Scripture. Yeah, the leader is responsible, and then they make decisions, and I look at it sort of like a company. You see a a CEO who's a figurehead who's sort of making decisions, but who's really getting it done. It's probably their executive assistant or, you know, the, the managers that are underneath them. They're the ones that are the doers and that are making it happen. So to me, it just speaks to, you know, really find out what what God's role for you is and what he's called you to be in the body and that's where you'll be the most successful. And whether it's in the natural it is, you know, it may not be. It may not look like that. that's a good job or a good position or a good ministry or as successful as what someone else thinks it is. And I also think of Paul, you know, he thinks he's he's planting churches, he's seeing these miracles, but he doesn't know that anyone's going to take these letters and and put them into the, the New Covenant, you know, what would become the New Covenant and the New Testament, um, as we call it. You know, he didn't know, by all accounts, you know, he's murdered or killed at the end of his life. Looks like a complete failure. He probably spent most of his time, you know, as an apostle in prison. You know, all the things we read about that he went through in the natural, you would say, wow, that's just a failure of a of a life. And yeah, you might have helped a few people, but you're not going to go down in history as being anything. But he did. And and I think we just have to be careful with that when we say, oh, the leadership position is the most important. It's not always how it works in God's
0: kingdom. Yes, we don't know exactly how Paul viewed his own writings. We do know that Peter recognized it as part of Scripture. He writes about that later on. Both of them are going to get killed about the same time. I think they had a a real, just looking at it and understanding that what they were doing was foundational to everything with the gospel. And from that standpoint, yes, I believe they understood the importance of what they were doing. I think that they understood the importance of what they were writing. Like you're saying, Alan, at the end of Paul's life, almost everyone had deserted him because he's in prison there in Rome and about to be killed. And there's only a few of them that are willing to identify with him at that point, his fellow workers, because that could lead to their death as well. And so, they had to trust God and just put everything into the hands of God. And they were a team ministering together. And all of these people that he's greeting, they have had a relationship together. It seems like they have ministered together. Paul is leading, they are following, but it's one body, one family, everything for God's glory. Now, verse 17 there are always those that cause dissension. Verse 17. Now, I urge you, brethren, keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances contrary to the teaching which you learned and turn away from them. If you have sound teaching, sound doctrine, teaching and doctrine is the same thing that's going forth, there's always going to be an inside battle of people that come against that sound teaching. Paul wants them to recognize what comes from God and what is not from God and stay away from those that cause dissensions. For such men are slaves, not of our Lord Jesus Christ. You and I, we are slaves of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are bond slaves of the Lord Jesus Christ. But these men that cause dissensions, they are slaves not to Jesus Christ, but of their own appetites. And by their smooth and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. Any person that's trying to put the focus upon themselves and not the focus upon Jesus Christ, you have to beware of them. There should be a red flag. That means there should be a radar that's going on. This person is not bringing me closer to Christ. They're trying to bring me into their camp, and they're trying to make us a disciple of that individual. We are here to make people disciples of Christ in everything that we do. Our teaching should glorify Him. It should not be about ourselves. So if I have smooth speech and flattery speech and I'm looking a certain way and I'm trying to draw people to myself to put them under my authority in order to empower myself, that is not of God. Everything that we do is for the glory of God and for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 19, For the report of your obedience has reached to all. Therefore, I am rejoicing over you. But I want you to be wise in what is good and innocent in what is evil. Now, what are we talking about here We've heard this quoted over and over, but let's look at it contextually of what he's talking about, people that lead others into dissensions, which really starts to destroy the gospel. I want you to be wise in what is good. I want you to have an understanding of what represents God. So many times people are trying to be wise in what is evil, but the most important thing is that you have to know what represents God. A person that is studying counterfeit money, you've been told this, but this is actually of how they recognize or how they are trained to recognize counterfeit money, is not looking all the time at what is counterfeit, but they have to know what is real. They have to know what is a true Dollar or a true currency. And when they know what is good, that's the most important thing. And then when something else comes into the scene, they recognize, oh, that's not from God. So you need to be wise in what is good. We need to have the wisdom of God to understand what represents God and be wise concerning those things. And if we are wise in what is good, therefore we will be innocent in what is evil if we recognize what represents God, then the rest of it takes care of itself. We're not going to be pulled into dissensions. We're not going to be overcome by a person with flattering speech. We are wise in what is good. We recognize what represents God, His Word, what glorifies Christ, and we have wisdom from above, and therefore, we're not going to be involved in all of these other things. We are going to be innocent in what is evil. Now, let's look at the next statement. For the report of your obedience has reached to all. I'm sorry. Let's look at the next statement. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. So our eyes are upon God. My eyes are not upon Satan. My eyes are wise in what is good. And therefore, the understanding is Satan will soon be crushed under your feet. My focus is on God. My focus is on the gospel. It is not upon people that are bringing dissensions. I'm going to be innocent in those things. I'm going to put my focus upon him, and Satan will soon be crushed under my feet. And I tell people all the time, put your focus on God, not upon the evil, not upon Satan. Because if our focus is upon God, the destruction of evil will come, and it will not penetrate into our own personal lives. We will be innocent in what is evil. Then he says, the grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you, as so do Lucius and Jason, and so does Sosipater, my kinsman. I Tertius, who write this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, host to me and to the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, greets you. And Quartus, the brother. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Amen is saying, let it be so. And now comes the benediction. Now to him who is able to establish you, according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery which has been kept secret from long ages past, but now is manifested and by the scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandment of the eternal God, has, made, has been made known to all the nations, leading to obedience of faith. To the only wise God through Jesus Christ be glory forever. Let it be so. Amen. Amen. When you look at this, what a powerful benediction to a church in Rome that Paul has never been to the city of Rome, but he knows specific individuals that are in the city at this time. To him who is able to establish you, this is a message to us. He is able to establish us. According to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, how are we established by the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? According to the revelation of the mystery, which has been kept secret from long ages past, what we experience now, what Paul is saying in Rome, others had not seen, but now has come to light and now is known in you because God has established you in the gospel. But now is manifested, it is made known, it is with you. And by the scriptures of the prophets, this is what the prophets prophesied about according to the commandment of the eternal God, the commandment that the law of God would be fulfilled in the Messiah. And here they are seeing this eternal salvation coming to them and the fulfillment of God's law, his commandment in Christ Jesus has been made known to all the nations. Someone may say, well, how are the nations hearing the gospel? This is A.D. 57. Thomas is already historically in India by A.D. 52. I believe what Paul is understanding, this commandment of Christ from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, is happening right now. The gospel is going to all the nations leading to obedience of faith. I don't think he is saying at that time every single nation has received the gospel, but the gospel is going to all nations and is known to all nations. It's coming alive. This mystery is now being revealed in Christ Jesus to all the nations. To the only wise God, through Jesus Christ, be glory forever. Amen. So the wisdom of God, the only wise God, through Jesus Christ, he has been made known. Be glory, be the glory forever.
1: Amen. And I'm just looking at that, that first part of this in, in verse 25, now to him who is able to establish you. And I think almost I could see you as the church of Rome here, yes. but also as individuals. Yeah, I think, I think but it's to, plural. Yeah, according to my gospel in the preaching of Jesus Christ, According to the revelation of the mystery, which has been kept secret for long ages past. To me, this speaks to God and His gospel in preaching of Jesus Christ. This is what establishes the church. It's not your program, it's not or building or marketing program or any of these things we try to create in the natural to, to make us more successful. Um, it's about God and His word. And it's also not about, you know, making everybody feel good, like we talked about earlier trying to fit in with the culture of the day. No, it's about preaching the message of Christ, the gospel.
0: It is true, that was true, from the foundations of time. Amen. And I want us to close in a word of prayer. And we have gone through all 16 chapters and bringing forth the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ that now that they have been established in. This gospel that Paul is preaching is the same gospel that Peter is preaching It's the same gospel that the apostles are preaching. It's the same gospel that we're preaching today. Be established in the gospel, and the mystery of everything from the past will be revealed in Jesus Christ. God's salvation has come once and for all, that whoever believes in Him, in the Lord Jesus Christ, will not perish, but will have everlasting life. Be established in this gospel. Heavenly Father, thank you for this letter that Paul wrote to the Romans. Let it be something that is alive in our hearts today. Heavenly Father, let us know this letter. Let us recognize it as your word. And God, let your word be hid within our hearts that we will not sin against you. God, be glorified in our lives. And Lord, let us have a tremendous testimony just like the church at Rome. Let us abide in You. Let us witness for You. Let us be about Your business and let our eyes be upon You and everything that we do. And God, we thank You for this opportunity to look into Your Word. And Heavenly Father, keep us right in the center of Your will. That is our prayer in everything that we do. God, use us for Your glory. You are the potter. We are the clay. Mold us and shape us and create in us a tremendous testimony, a supernatural testimony for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 God be with all of you. If you'd like to learn more about IGM or have any questions about this podcast, feel free to reach out to us at info at and connect with us on Instagram at integrity underscore global and Facebook at Integrity Global Missions. If you like our podcast, please share it and leave a review. Thank you for listening. Have a blessed day.